Blog Talk Radio. It is February 28, 2018, and for those on the East Coast, uh, good evening. For those of you on the West Coast, good afternoon, and for the rest of you in the world, I guess we could say good morning, good night, or whatever. This is Fred Houston, and you are listening to the Stone and Tile Show, where we discuss everything about stone and tile, whether it's floors, walls, countertops, exteriors of buildings, statues, you name it. If it has to do with stone and tile, we will discuss it on the show. Uh, One of the things I encourage is for call-ins, and the telephone number I'll give you real quick here, and we'll probably give it to you more than once during the show here, is area code 323-870-3968. That is 8, or I'm sorry, 323-870-3968. If you'd like to call in, and uh, uh, we can basically answer any question you have. Now, I, I have quite a few uh, emails that uh, people had sent me since our, our first show, which was uh, last week, uh, which is some interesting interesting questions. Uh, I do want to cover resin stone uh, during uh, the show today, but if we have other questions, like I said, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to take them. Um, I don't have instant message capability here on the radio show, but I do have it on my Facebook, and I have that Facebook page open. So if you simply go to Facebook, I think it's backslash stoneforensics.com, or just simply search for it at stoneforensics.com. You can send me an instant message there. It'll pop up in my little window, and I'll be able to answer your question if you're a little bit shy uh, to talk over the phone. Also, you can send me an email at fhuston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Or, hey, if you want to text me, I'll give you up my cell phone as well. That's 321-514-6845. That's my cell. And also, the call-in number here is 323-870-3968. Before we get talking about resin stone, and this kind of has something to do with resin stone, but not really, uh, an interesting question came up today on one of the forums that I participate in, and the question was about removing ager. Well, first of all, for those of you listening and don't know what ager is, ager is a product uh, by 10X, although there are other uh, color enhancers uh, by other companies like Aquamix, uh, Akemi, and a few others. Uh, but Ager is the most popular one, especially for stone fabricators. And it's designed to darken down uh, the stone for whatever reason. You may need it to be darkened, whether it's to enhance the color. Uh, a lot of fabricators use it because when they cut resin stone, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, uh, it will actually uh, become lighter, so the ager actually uh, darkens it down. Uh, so with that said, I want to get into this question here in a second, but I see we've got a caller uh, waiting from the 818 area code. So let's go ahead and take that take that call. Uh, caller, you are live on the Stone and Tile Show. Caller eight from 818, are you there? Uh, Fred, Yes. Hey, how you doing? Fred, I'm doing good. I, I tried three hours ago. I thought you were, uh, it said at 3 o'clock, so I figured that'd be at noon California time. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we're, we're at six. <laughs> I keep uh, poking at your picture with the arrow online, and nothing's coming. So I'm just listening to you on the phone. Well, great, wonderful. We'll just hang in there, Linda and Al, uh, and uh, we'll hopefully discuss some really interesting stuff here. So, welcome to the show. Great, I appreciate it, Fred. No problem. Thank you. 
All right. Uh, here we got Lindell on the phone there. That's great. Uh, I'm sure we got a bunch of other listeners. By the way, uh, last week we had over 80 listeners. So uh, I, I'm quite quite impressed with that. So uh, keep listening. And again, of course, if you um, want to listen to the show later on, you can do that as well and listen to it over and over again. But let me let me go ahead and go back to the ager question that I was just talking about. And uh, the question was, how do I remove ager? And there were a bunch of responses on the on the forum, and there are all kinds of attempts to try to remove ager. But if you go to 10x's website, which is 10xusa.com, they actually make an ager remover. However, with caution, that is not designed to take the ager out of the stone. It's designed to remove excess ager. Well, I believe this question that this individual sent in was had they wanted to actually remove ager from the stone itself. And again, I went to their website, 10X's website, and they had a real interesting, uh, now I'll read you what the sentence says, and I thought it was really clever. It says, what's the best thing about ager? And it is, when it goes on, it's on. What's the worst thing about ager is when it goes on, it's on. So it, it's really difficult to uh, to remove ager. Now, over time, it will fade. Uh, I've had ager you know, actually come out but it's usually over repeated washings and repeated use of uh, acetone and, and other solvents. So if you're going to use Ager or any of the other products that's similar to Ager, I would say uh, make sure you want it to do what it's going to do and it's not going to be reversible, even though it can be. Now, what are the, some of the things that may work? Uh, sometimes a real strong degreaser, you know, flooding the countertop, or the stone with, with a good degreaser and just letting it set. Uh, poultices can sometimes work, but when you put a poultice on uh, on a large countertop, you're, you're going to be using a lot of poultice, and it's, the, the results are kind of blotchy. I've tried it many, many times. Uh, you can try wiping it down with acetone, but uh, if you had to press me up against a wall or like <laughs> between a rock and a hard place, no pun intended, I would say once Adria goes on, it's on. Uh, don't even attempt uh, attempt to remove it. All right, so during the show, besides taking your questions, uh, I'm going to talk about resin stone. I remember years ago uh, when I started in this business, I had the opportunity to travel to Italy, and it was a a great experience. I got to go to Carrara. I got a personal tour of all the quarries by the local geologist, which was really, really interesting, and actually was a tour that the MIA put together many, many years ago. And I remember going to one of the stone slab factories, and there, we were, we're walking through the factories, and of course, we're watching them cut the stone into slabs, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember walking in the back, and there was this guy, had a pair of shorts on, a pair of flip-flops on, no goggles. I don't even think he was wearing a hat, for that matter. And he had a slab laying on a, a bunch of sawhorses. <laughs> he was painting with a, with a paint roller this resin all over the, 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 the slab. And, of course, I went up to him and asked, asked him what he was doing. He didn't speak English. We had a translator there. And he said he was applying glue to the stone. And I asked him, well, what do you mean applying glue? He says, well, this makes the stone stronger. Well, that was my first experience with resining of the stone. And there are some third world countries that are still uh, applying resins in that matter, where they basically just dry the stone out the best they can, pour it over the top, let it soak in as best as it can, and then, scrape it off and send it through the polishing line. 
Today, it's a little bit different. Uh, Today, a lot of the larger slab producers in Italy, here in the USA, Brazil, uh, even China and India are using factories, actually uh, amazing factories with with machinery that costs millions of dollars to resin these materials. And it's, it's kind of an interesting process. And I'll go through it here real quick. Basically, what they do is they take the stone. And they put it in a what they call a stack oven. And what a stack oven is is where they just line, you know, one stone on top of another, and that dries the stone out. And it's very important to get the stone nice and dry, so it will take the resins. Now these are raw slabs, and what I mean by raw slabs is they haven't been through the polishing line yet. After they are thoroughly dry, they go to a spray area where polyester resin is sprayed on top of them. And I want you to remember that word. I want you to remember the word polyester because I'm going to talk in a few minutes the difference between polyesters and epoxies because I don't want to get sidetracked here because many people confuse the two. They call all glues epoxies and that's not true. There's a distinct difference between polyesters and epoxies. So anyway, they spray the polyester on the stone and then they put it into a vacuum changer, cha- chamber which sucks in the the resin and allows it to go a little bit deeper uh, than it would, would be if you're just spraying it on or painting it on. Then it goes back into curing, which is another stack oven, which it dries. And once that entire process is done, then it goes through the polishing line and is honed and polished to whatever desired finish or type of finish uh, that they want. So I guess the question you should be asking, or I asked back in the day is, you know, why do we do that? Why are we resining stone? And I can remember almost 40 years ago, or even before that, actually, that's kind of given my age away, um, back when my dad was in the business, uh, we didn't have that big a selection of granite back then. And we would go into most uh, stone yards at the time that carried slabs, and you would see marble after marble after marble after limestone after marble, and maybe a dozen or so different types of granite. Well, today it's different. Any of you that have shops, any of you that walk into a stone yard have seen most of these yards are full of granite nowadays. Very little marble in some cases. I've seen some shops that carry no marble at all, no limestone at all, and are full of just hundreds, if not thousands of varieties of uh, a granite. Just go to any stone distributor and, and walk around. You can see the hundreds and hundreds and, like I said, possibly thousands of different types of granite that are out there. If it wasn't for the resining process, some of these granites probably wouldn't make it into the United States. Uh, we have granites not only coming from you know Italy, China, um, you know, everywhere, but as far as Australia, uh, some of the third world countries, even Iran, uh, Portugal, Spain, I mean, you name it, uh, almost every country has some kind of stone or another. And some of these stones are so brittle that without resining, they would actually break during shipping. Okay, so that's the positive. What are some of the other positives of resining? Well, one of them that's, I kind of, hesitate to say this and i'm going to tell you why in a second and that is they strengthen the stone um i know that sounds like i'm contradicting myself but uh, if you just bear with me for a second i'll explain that a little bit further they do strengthen the stone temporarily 
uh, and only temporarily. Uh, and temporarily can I'm not talking a minute. I'm not talking a week, but it can it can last for a while, a year or more maybe. Uh, but they can also become weaker, and I'll I'll explain that a little bit later here when I start talking a little bit more about polyesters and some of the characteristics of, of polyester. So that's the positive side of resining. And I don't know today what the percentage of resin stones are coming into the United States, but I'm seeing a lot of it. Uh, like I said, back in the day, it was rare. Uh, almost any shop I walk into, you can look at the slabs, you can see the resin dripping down the side. And, um, you know, if I had a guess, if I had to just take a wild guess that they said, Fred, you know, what do you think uh, the percentage of resin stone coming into the United States is I, I would, I would safely say probably 70%, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it was 90% or more of resin materials. So with that said, we're going to be dealing with resin materials. Now, I titled this show Resin Stones, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly after an article I wrote several years ago discussing, all right, what are the good things about resin stones, which I just mentioned? What are the bad things about resin stone? And I will say this, any time that we introduce a man-made process into a natural material, such as the granite or marble that we're, we're talking about here, things can go wrong. The resin can't cure properly. They don't dry the resin out, the, not the resin, they don't dry the slabs out properly. There's any number of things that can go wrong during the resining process. And these are some of the things that fabricators and homeowners uh, as well as restoration contractors and installers are seeing uh, in the shop and in the field. And we're going to discuss some of those. I would say the first biggest issue we have with resin stone is discoloring when they're put outside uh, or exposed to UV light. This is where my lecture on polyesters versus epoxies come into play. Polyesters do not like ultraviolet light. Uh, those of you fabricators out there or restoration guys are familiar with Akimi, 10X, um, you know, K-Bond, all those those glues. A lot of those are polyester-based glues, and they don't react too well when sunlight hits them. Therefore, what happens is you store your slabs outside, especially if you're in California, Southern California, New Mexico, Arizona, here in Florida, and what happens is they will darken. Sometimes they lighten, but in most cases, the resin actually becomes dark and will darken down. Well, if you have your slab fully exposed outside and you bring it inside, you, you don't know it's dark. You just There's nothing to compare it to. You put it on your saw, you cut it, and then you go to profile it, and you notice that the profile is a lighter color than the rest of it. Why is that? Well, simply because the resin on the surface has actually darkened down from the UV light. You've cut it. You now have a fresh piece of stone. And what you're seeing is that exposed stone that hasn't been exposed to UV light and therefore is lighter. That's where a product like Ager or a similar product comes in to temporarily uh, darken it, darken it down. So that's problem number one. And if you want, I can go through the actual steps that we've done in the field uh, to color enhance it, which I, if you want, I'll go over that in a minute. But let me go on to some of the other issues that we see with resin stone. I remember about, oh, I think it was about 10 years ago, I was at a trade show and I was given a lecture and I made a prediction. And the prediction was, I think eventually what's going to happen with these resin stones, because they're using polyester, 
is going to be become brittle and they may crack. Well, I got done with my lecture and two individuals, two fabricators came up to me and said, Fred, we're already seeing this. We've seen stones that were so brittle when we had them outside in the sun for, you know, months and months. We go to them and they literally fall apart. I was not surprised. I was not shocked at all. And the reason I wasn't was you have to understand polyesters. They do not like UV light. I'm sure some of you have taken a piece of plastic, uh, put it outside during the summer, even a piece of PVC pipe, some, something that's plastic, and let it sit in the sun all summer long. And it's nice and pliable. You come back at the end of the summer and it'll snap. You can actually take a hammer and it'll shatter. Well, that's what polyester resins do. And if you want to try this experiment, take a, a cup of, of polyester out of your shop, uh, stick it out in the sun, let it sit for a couple of weeks. Come back. First of all, it'll turn color. Second of all, it'll become very brittle. And that's what's happening to these uh, to these stones. Until we come up with a way to inject epoxies, which epoxies are a little bit more resistant to UV light and will provide greater strength. But right now, the cost of epoxies and the way they're applied are, are just uh, are too expensive at this point, but I'm sure uh, they're working on it. And if anyone knows that's listening that uh, there's something different than that, then uh, be free to uh, give me a call. Uh, let me send the phone number out there one more time. It is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968 if you have a question or a comment. Uh, about these uh, the problems that we're seeing uh, with uh, these resin resin materials. Um, as I said, that's where the ager would come in. But you know, keep in mind, ager is only temporary. Uh, we get a lot of fabricators in you know sunny areas like Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, Florida, Texas, that will do outdoor bars, uh, either around a pool or a barbecue, whatever, and they're having these issues. And you know, to try to find an unresin stone. Uh, is very, very difficult. And many times, even the supplier uh, doesn't know that these stones are resin, or at least, you know, I've run into that problem. The interesting thing about the resining process when I first saw it uh, was a liquid applied. It's just like, you know, you guys that go out there and, and, and do repairs, you take your, your, your can of resin and, you know, you mix your hardener and you apply it to fix your, you know, whatever um, uh, works really well. Well, that's not exactly it's done at the factory when they resin these materials. All the products start out dry. All the polyesters uh, start out dry, and the catalyst and everything actually works uh, in the field. I mean, I'm sorry, in the in the oven itself, which uh, causes the catalyzation and um, the the material to cure, cure and react. So um, that's how it's done at the factory. Um, so we run into these problems. I have had issues, not very many. But have had calls and have had issues where sealers have caused a problem. Now, let me clarify that because I've gotten a lot of nasty letters from sealers manufacturers that, hey, wait a minute, Fred, Fred our sealers do not affect resins. And if the resin is done properly, and if the resin is cured properly, yes, it will not affect it. However, as I said a few minutes ago, if 
something goes wrong in the process. If not enough hardener is added, if it's not dried properly, if it's not cured properly, and I've seen that, what we call soft uncured resins or still in the curing process uh, type resins, sealers will react with them, especially the solvent-based sealers. And uh, you will know that right away because it will react. You'll get a, a, a hazing or you'll get a cloudiness or you know, almost like someone put glue on it. And I've seen some slabs sitting right in the yard that can you actually see resin on a surface where it wasn't really polished off properly. So uh, that's one of the things that can happen uh, with, with these uh, resin slabs. Uh, again, I appreciate your questions and comments. Uh, we can change the subject if you like. It's 323-870-3968. Um, might as well go ahead and give a plug for my uh, website, which is stoneforensics.com. Um, those of you who have been asking me about another stone inspection slash Excuse me. Oh, excuse me. I had a sneeze. Um, troubleshooting a seminar. I have another one coming up June 11th uh, through 14th uh, here in Melbourne, Florida. Uh, for those who don't know what Melbourne, Florida is, it's on the map. No, just kidding. Uh, it's it's about an hour east of Orlando, a pretty easy drive from the Orlando International Airport. Uh, I'm limiting the class to eight to 10 people. So if you want to get in, go ahead and uh, go to my website. It'll tell you all about it or simply send me an email at fhuston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. So uh, the phone lines are open. Uh, again, 323-870- Three nine six eight. So that's my little ditty on uh, on resin-based materials. Uh, I would say, you know, it, it, it's given everybody an opportunity, inspectors an opportunity, uh, fabricators an op opportunity. And, uh, you know, kind of a funny story. I remember oh, probably 25 years ago uh, during some of the seminars that I was attending and, and also giving that the hardened stone guys out there, you know, the stone fabricators, oh, I'm never carrying that engineered material, that quartz, sur they're, they're, what do they call it, quartz surfaces, that stuff's crap, I'm not going to deal with that, I'm a stone guy. Well, stone guys, you've actually made real stone, engineered stone. And if you think about it, I mean, what is engineered stone? Engineered stone is, is quartz, which is a stone, and polyester. Uh, what are we doing to slabs? We're injecting polyester into them. Now, I mean, they're not becoming engineered stones, but they're reacting a lot like engineered stones. So that means what I just talked about when it comes to polyesters and epoxies also apply to the engineered slash quartz materials because they are polyesters. And polyester does not like sunlight, does not like UV light. Now, I've gotten arguments over, well, Fred, uh, I'm going to use it in a house. There's not UV light in the house. Yes, there is. There is UV light in the house. If you're near a window, yes, glass will filter out some UV light, but some UV light still gets in there, and over time, it'll darken. Uh, it will become brittle, and I've already seen that happening. And I'd, I'd like to hear your stories on if you've had any experience uh, with that as well. So if you call me at 323-870-3968, go to my Facebook page, uh, at Stone, which is Stone Forensics. Just search for it. You can send me an instant message or go ahead and instant message me on my cell phone, which is 321-514-6845. And I'll uh, be happy to uh, uh, bring up your question. Don't worry. You'll remain anonymous. And uh, we'll talk about uh, 
the, the resining process and, and some of the issues you might be having uh, with uh, the, the resin process. Okay, uh, why we're waiting on some callers. Uh, I'm going to talk about how I used to fix these edge profile problems. In other words, when you have a lighter edge and a darker top in the field. Um, we get them all the time. You know, why in the world you install them that way and then try to walk away and hopefully the customer is happy. I have no idea. I'm not going to uh, try to beat you to death on, on why you do it, but Let's say you have to go in and you have to uh, darken that edge down. Well, sometimes it's not as simple as taking a little bit of ager or color enhancer and just wiping it on the surface, letting it soak in, wipe it off, and bye, I'm out of there. Uh, a lot of times because you're dealing with a highly polished edge, uh, especially if you're using a Marlite bar or you know a polishing pad, you're going to leave a small film of of, of wax, for lack of a better word, on there, which can cause it to not penetrate properly. Uh, so what you have to do is you have to open it up. Generally, what I do is I'll start out with about a, somewhere around a 400 grit, open up that edge, dry it up really, really well, and then apply some some ager or you know color enhancer of your choice. Let it sit for a little bit. You know what do I mean for a little bit? As long as I possibly can. Uh, now, if you can, let it sit overnight. That would be ideal, but a lot of times you want to get in and out of there in a day. But let, let it sit for 20 minutes, half hour. You know, go take a break, go to lunch, uh, take a cigarette break, whatever, and uh, come back and uh, apply it again at the 400 grit. And then go ahead and bring it up through your grits, however many grits, whatever system you're using. And just before you get to the polishing phase, apply the ager again. Let it sit for another 30 minutes, let's say, and then go ahead and polish it. And that will darken uh, that edge down to match the, the surface. Now, you want to be careful, you know, not to get too much on the surface because you can end up with a dark line along the surface. If You know, what you can do there is just be very careful, obviously. Uh, sometimes if you even put a piece of tape on there, that will prevent you from going too much uh, up on the surface of the edge, but that will buy you time. Uh, that'll, I, I like to say that'll get you the check cut. <laughs> Customer will get you the check, and you know you'll be you'll be happy and and out the door. So, again, uh, the phone number is three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. I wouldn't mind hearing your issues on uh, anything. Uh, to do with stone, do with tile, uh, whatever. We, we'll discuss it. We'll discuss it here. Okay, let me switch topics a little bit here and uh, go on to another email question that I got uh, actually two days ago. And that is, I, this is from a consumer. And she had a water issue with a patio. She, she actually installed some slate on her patio, which was covered, but not, you know, it was an outside type cover. And um, she was having, she didn't know it was efflorescence, but it was, you know, efflorescence. All this powder was, was coming up. And she said her installer didn't know what to do. So I had her installer call me, and I asked him, did you bother pulling, you know, how did you set it? I went through all that. How was it set? What materials did you set it in? You know, all the normal questions that we would normally ask during an installation. Well, obviously, efflorescence comes from where? It comes from water. It's carrying salts to the surface. Uh, I asked the installer to pull up a tile. He happened to be on site uh, when he had called me with a customer there, and I asked him, could he pull up a tile? And he said, sure. And when he did, he found water pooling under the tile. Well, what's that tell you? That tells you it's not draining properly. 
So what I suggested he first do before we tear up the installation, put down a waterproof barrier and, and, you know, go through all that was to let's try making sure we get the water off the installation or out from under the installation. Uh, because this was an on-grade, on-the-ground installation, I suggested they put what they call a French drain around the perimeter of the uh, <clears throat> of the patio and see if that would drain the water away. But I also said that with caution because I said that's only going to drain the water off the patio. It wouldn't necessarily stop the efflorescence until all the moisture is gone. Of course, you're dealing with an outside patio. Even though it's covered, you're going to get rain, you're going to get humidity, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so now I'm waiting on a call back. Uh, I told him, wait a few months, see what happens, clean the efflorescence off as, as, as it continues to come back, and eventually, uh, hopefully, the efflorescence will disappear. If it doesn't, then I would suggest that you remove the installation, paint on some type of a waterproof barrier and then reinstall the tile, the slate or whatever uh, they're installing. Uh, there are barriers that are designed for on top of concrete slabs. This was on a concrete slab, not a, not a sand bed installation. And it, um, um, those, those products, there's several out there. There's one by floor seal technology. There's another from a company called Synac, S I N A K corporation. Uh, I think their website is synaccorp.com. Uh, That's another one that makes these, which are, you know, without, without getting into a long dissertation as to what they do, they work quite effectively when you run into those those type of problems. So, you know, it's a homeowner. Uh, sure, it may have to be torn out. But again, you know, try the French drains first. And I've run into this problem several times, not only on uh, patios, but also on decking. You know, here in Florida, we have a lot of condos, with a lot of decks. And of course, here in the state of Florida, in order to be a tile installer, all you need to do is raise your right hand and say, do you own a trowel? And if you say yes, congratulations, you're a tile installer. We don't have a strict uh, uh, licensing requirements as they do in, say, California or whatever, although I'm sure you guys in California will also get uh, uh, some hack uh, installers out there. But the number one cause I, I see for efflorescence problem, other than the wrong setting material, is improper drainage or not installing a drainage mat. And um, I had one case where no weep holes were, were put in the installation and all the water was just backing up into this uh, one customer's uh, deck. And basically we had to uh, put some weep holes in there and hope that the efflorescence would go away. And it does or it doesn't. So anyway, again, the phone number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Again, my email, fhouston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. I will be looking for sponsors for this show. So if anyone wants to uh, uh, talk about some sponsoring, advertising the big a word uh advertising i'll be more than happy to um uh to answer your questions and uh put an ad up here for you for a fee of course i'll help pay for this this i wish this was a free show it's free for you but it's not free for me i've got to pay for it so uh that'd be helpful very reasonable cost i am picking up a lot of listeners uh, as I said last week, we had a total of 80 listeners. Uh, and I think there was about 40 or 50 live listeners, and uh, the other 30 or 40 uh, came into play after the show aired. So thank goodness we have that technology to be able to I, – I can't see who you are, but I can tell 
you know, whether a person is, uh, has listened to the, to the show or not, it gives me that type of, uh, uh, statistics, which is, which is really good, uh, which works well. So, uh, I'm also looking for people to interview. Uh, I wouldn't mind interviewing fabricators, uh, manufacturers of products, anybody with any kind of a knowledge on either a product, stone, tile, um, you know, I don't know everything. I've been in a business 40 years, and uh, I can honestly say what's nice and surprising about the stone industry is that you're constantly learning. There are constantly new things popping up all the time, and some of them are real puzzlers, but I put on my stone detective hat. That's what I do, and uh, we, we somehow can get to the bottom and uh, and figure, figure it out. Um, you know, speaking of, of Stone Detective, I'm sure some of you are familiar with the Stone Detective that I write for the Slippery Rock Gazette. You can uh, go ahead and take a look at some of my back issues there. I think to date I've written, I did a count, I think last year, and I was like at 120 of those articles. Uh, kind of a, a little bit of uh, information that you don't know about when you read those particular articles is that the characters are made up, the names are changed to perfect protect the innocent and all that stuff. I tend to ab lib a little things in there, but the actual cases that are that I, I portray in that story are real cases that I've looked on looked at. You know, I change the location, I change the names, uh add some humor in there, you know, and as you know, those of you who uh read that on a regular basis know that I try to do it in kind of a you know, the old uh gumshoe Humphrey Bogart type type uh type writing style. So uh the interesting thing about the stone industry is I never run out of stories because every time I, you know, I, I wake up in the morning, I have a phone call waiting for me for some kind of weird, uh, unusual stone problem, whether it's a stain, whether it's, uh, you know, something to do with, uh, you know, tile coming up, falling off a, a building. I had one yesterday from a, a building I'm going to go look at shortly and, um, I won't say where, uh, but it's uh, panels, white marble panels that are, guess what? They're bowing, uh, a condition we know in as hysteresis. So let's talk about that for a minute. That's actually a, a good subject to talk about that I haven't, I haven't talked about too much here uh, on, on, the, on the radio station. But um, if you look up the word hysteresis, I believe it's H-Y-S-T-E-R-S-I-S, uh, something like that. Uh, stone will bow. And, you know, the old saying was, well, you know, if you cut it too thin, it'll bow. There are only certain stones that will bow. I think last week we talked about the curling of serpentines, you know, green marbles. I mean, everybody that's an installer of stone knows that. But uh, other materials will do that. And the reason they do it is because it's called the, the actual technical name for it. It's called thermal hysteresis. Now, the word thermal should give you a good clue what happens. You can imagine a slab on an outside of a building with the sun beating on it. The surface, the top surface, in other words, the outer layer is heating up at a greater degree than the back surface. So what that does is it causes the stone to lose its, um, it, it, its tension, if you will. I'm not sure what the proper word is, and it, it'll actually re release that tension and it will actually bow. And the question I get, and the question I actually have from this uh, one client I'm going to inspect is, you know, well, actually two things. Uh, are the panels going to fall off, first of all, uh, and uh, can it be fixed? Well, I can't answer the first one. I can tell you by examining the anchoring system, 
I use this little boroscope uh, that goes in behind it. It's called an inspection camera. They're very reasonable on Amazon.com. You can buy them now for like 30 bucks. You hook them up to your cell phone and you can actually see between places. Uh, and I can tell whether the anchor looks like it's becoming detached. And if it is, I can say, well, the possibility of it coming off the phone, off the, off the wall and hurting someone is, is great. Uh, can it be fixed as a simple answer? No. Uh, once it's bowed, you really can't, you really can't uh, fix it again. So uh, if you see buildings and you can walk in almost major city and you can see uh, the, um, the bowing on some of these uh, materials and it, it happens on all materials, whether it's marble, granite, limestone, or whatever. Uh, I just got a uh, email in from uh, from someone that said, uh, listening to your show, uh, if you need someone to talk, best types of ice melts to use near stone entry. We are running a lot of problems with people using industrial brine. Uh, yeah, and this is from Jeannie. Jeannie, yes, um, I run into this all the time. As a matter of fact, I was telling someone the other day about a story up in Massachusetts and I'll say the name of the university is Brown University. They have a lot of brownstone. And if you're from that area, uh, I'm sure uh, know what brownstone is. And uh, they were using rock salt, you know, typical rock salt. Well, what happens with the icing salts is, you know, you've got some ice on your sidewalk. You throw these de-icing salts or rock salt on the sidewalk. And the next thing that happens, it melts the snow. Where the problem really comes in is in the springtime. Now, you, 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 let's say you have several ice storms during the during the winter. You're throwing this rock salt. You're throwing this rock salt all the time. When it melts, it's actually becoming a liquid. And what happens with porous materials? It soaks into the pores. It only occurs on concrete. It occurs on porous stones like granite. And what happens as it starts to dry during the springtime? The, the salts inside the stones start to crystallize. And when they start crystallizing, the crystals grow. And you end up with a condition we call spalling. Uh, it's where you get pitting, and, and I've seen it happen in little tiny pieces, and I've seen it happen in large, large chunks. The best way to prevent that is to use a de-icing salt that doesn't crystallize, and there are many of them out there. They're called safety icers. Uh, again, go into Google, type in safety icing or whatever, and uh, you can see that uh, – those will not crystallize. Um, they're doing some pretty innovative things now. I was in Boston recently, and some of the sidewalks there are being heated. So you need no chemicals, no de-icing salts, no, other than a shovel or a plow to plow the, the snow off the sidewalk. It's literally melting uh, melting the snow. So actually, I saw something on Facebook the other day, which I thought was um, was kind of interesting. They say if you live in a northern climate, and I used to live in a northern climate many years ago, so I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with that, the ice storms, um, to park your car facing, um, I think it was south. Yeah, facing south, you have a more more sunlight coming in from the south, and therefore your uh, your windshield will, will melt. So nothing to do with stone, but I thought I'd throw that in there as kind of, kind of a tidbit. So, uh, so Jeannie, thanks for that. If you uh, want to call in and and comment on, on what I said or ask uh, any further question, go ahead and uh, resend me an email or, or go ahead and call in at 323-870-3968. That's uh, 323-870-3968. A um, lot of good information in this show. I know we originally thought about talking just about uh, resin stone, but we're able to cover uh, the icing salts, uh, efflorescence, uh, not only on, on slate, but uh, efflorescence can occur on, on just about any any material. Uh, one of the things I tell my students all the time, and this is one of my pet peeves, and 
those of you, my students who are listening, know this pet peeve that I have, and that is the term is efflorescence. It's not effervescence. I always say effervescence is what happens when you place the Alka-Seltzer in the water and it fizzes and it bubbles. That's effervescence. We're talking about efflorescence. You know, technically it's known as the um, deposit of soluble salts on the surface of the stone. However, we can get a condition known as subfluorescence. And subfluorescence, if you look at the word sub, think about a submarine. What does a submarine do? It goes down under the ocean. The salts start crystallizing below the surface, uh, just like they, they did in the, uh, the icing salt example we talked about a few minutes ago. And in that case, you get the same condition. You get spalling. So that's subfluorescence uh, versus efflorescence. And that's some of the things that we discuss in our in our class on not only stone inspections, but also on troubleshooting, which, which is kind of interesting. A lot of the uh, people that have been to the class uh, are really not looking to become inspectors. Uh, they're either fabricators, installers, um, people that sell the material that just want to learn more about what can go, you know, what, what can happen with stone. And, you know, those of you that know me, I, I like to apply a little science to it. Uh, I always, one of my favorite questions of all time is simple one word and that's why you know why you know why doesn't a stone polish why is a stone spalling why is a stone popping off the floor you know why is a stone falling off the off the building uh until you know the reason why you cannot write a prescription you you can't say hey this is what we need to do to fix it and i know a lot of contractors out there are running around trying to fix some of these problems and it's all for naught. Uh, if you don't get to the root of it, uh, I had a case uh, I was discussing with someone a couple of weeks ago on a floor that they were having some issues with it. Well, what the issue was it was a white marble floor and it was oxidizing and rusting and turning yellow. And they said, well, I guess we need to tear it out and replace it. Uh, they tore it out. They replaced it again uh, with a different white marble. And guess what that did? <clears throat> it did the same thing. Because they didn't find out why. The why was there was moisture there. There was moisture coming up through the slab. They needed to put a waterproof barrier on top of the slab before they installed a new stone. So if they would have called me in or someone that knew something about that, they would have saved themselves a whole ton of money. Because now what they had to do is take that brand new second installation. And when I say brand new, we're talking less than a year. Tear that out. And at that point is when I got called and I said, hey, why is this doing this? Well, you should have called me in the first time around. But, uh, <coughs> excuse me, they ended up um, replacing it, putting the waterproof barrier on there. And that was, like I said, I think it was a year or two ago, and it's doing fine. No rusting, no no nothing. Uh, you know, one of the shows I want to do, I got an interesting call today uh, from a manufacturer, or I should say a manufacturer's rep on slip fall and slip resistance. And... Um, well, I could devote a whole show just to that, and I may just go ahead and do that at one point if you want to go ahead and send me an email if you're interested. Actually, if you have a suggestion for any uh, topic, uh, give me a, either a, an email at fhouston at gmail.com. Uh, call in the show live here if you like at 323-870-3968, or um, go ahead and uh, call me or text me on my cell phone, which is 3514 six eight four five and i'd be happy to answer uh any question hopefully solve any problem you know it's amazing technology today i'm doing a lot of inspection work via facetime uh via people sending me videos photographs 
Um, you know, it saves me from having to run all over the country. Because quite honestly, a lot of times what happens, I spend more time traveling to the job site than I actually do on the job site. I had an inspection in South Carolina a couple of weeks ago where it took me like 20 minutes to determine what was wrong with the with the installation. Uh, I kind of fiddled around a little bit to, you know, make it look like I was doing something longer. But, it you know, it took me a half a day to get there, uh, 20 minutes to do the inspection, and another half a day to get back. And any of you that travel a lot or do any kind of traveling know it's not really fun anymore, um, especially with connections and flights getting delayed, flights late. And sometimes they make my connection so tight if the flight is late by even 10 minutes, I might miss my connection. So it's not fun anymore. But I do enjoy the live uh, the live inspections, which is one thing we try to do in our stone inspection slash troubleshooting classes. Uh, we take, it's a four-day class. We take one of those days and we actually go in the field and look at real live um, stone and tile issues. So it's something, if you're interested, just to definitely give me a holler. All right. Uh, Call-in questions. Uh, we've got another 15 minutes here of the show. Uh, if you want to call in with a quick question, it's uh, or a long question, 15 minutes is a long time, especially on radio time. Uh, it's 323-870-3968, and I'll be more than happy to take your calls live. You don't have to identify yourself; just give me your first name and uh, what your question is or your comment. If you have to, if you want to add anything to uh, what I've been talking about, one of the things I did want to mention when I was talking about efflorescence, and I see this issue all the time. Whether it's outside or whether it's inside, I get people that constantly want to seal. They run for the impregnator, they run for some kind of sealer, and they say, oh, let's seal it, and that'll, that'll cover up the problem. It'll work for about five minutes. Now, kidding, it'll, it might work a little longer than that, but uh, not very long. You do not ever want to seal a stone, especially any porous surface, concrete, brick, or whatever, that has an efflorescence issue, because efflorescence issue means that you're having a moisture issue somewhere. So again, find the why. Why is it occurring? Let's try to solve the problem, find the source of the, of the water, eliminate it. And then if you want, you can look at the possibility of applying sealers. And this is where we get into another whole uh, subject that I argue with constantly with, with various individuals, and that is, do you seal stone outside? Do you seal, seal brick outside? Do you seal concrete outside, concrete pavers? And I tend to be somewhat opinionated when it comes to that for obvious reasons. Um, how do I say this? There are exceptions to the rule, and one of the great things about the stone industry is there are exceptions to almost every rule, is that in most cases, I do not recommend sealing stone in an exterior situation. And the reason for that, even though you have, you know, impregnators that penetrate and allow the stone to breathe, they do reduce the breathability somewhat. And that can cause some issues. Second problem I see on a constant basis with sealing exterior stone is that in certain climates, it's almost impossible to seal, to get the stone dry enough uh, to, to seal. So, you know, it becomes, it becomes a tricky installation. So if you're, you're going to seal exterior stone, I would do it with a bit of caution, if you will. I mean, just extreme caution. If you need to talk to me about it uh, or, or talk to the 
manufacturers uh, to find out, you know, if they recommend it or not. Of course, they sell the material, so I doubt they're not going to recommend it, but uh, be, be, be cautious. Um, oh, I, I got a, a, an email back from Jeannie here that she said, uh, Brown's University Historic Brownstone was replaced with cheap Chinese sandstone in the 80s because the original quarry in Portland, Connecticut, was closed at the time. I believe that. Um, uh, you, I don't think you want to get me started on the cheap Chinese sandstone, um, not only sandstone, but some of the uh, uh, materials coming out of uh, coming out of China. And you know, I don't mean to pick on China. I don't want anybody to take this take this wrong. But you know, a lot of materials are sent to China for fabrication, so they're really not Chinese materials. But I have seen. Um, I think the technical word for some of the material coming out of China is crap. <laughs> um, it's it's just you know it's full of iron. It oxidizes. It rusts. It falls apart. Um, and so I'm very very cautious when it comes to Chinese material. I've had a lot of uh, bad experience with it. I had had one case where uh, a 90 million dollar library was being built, and they spared no expense building this library, building an entire vault that kept the temperature and, and the humidity at the right level so the, these old historic books wouldn't uh, wouldn't decay. And they decided that they could save millions of dollars by not using native stone. And for those of you not familiar with what I mean by native stone is, you know, let's say you're in Minnesota, for example, using a stone quarry in Minnesota or some state close by that would be considered a native stone. Uh, they decided to buy some inexpensive uh, Chinese granite, and guess what it did? Uh, within a, about a year, it started rusting like crazy. Um, I got called in. Why is it rusting? Well, simple. It's rusting because it has iron in it, and you're in a humid climate, and it's going to rust. This is one of the rare times that I recommend that the only way to save it at this point may be to apply some type of a, a sealer treatment to the stone. So we did some experiments, and um, the last I heard, that was, oh, God, five, six years ago, it was was holding up holding up well. Uh, but, you know, again, you might save money up front. That's why I wish the architects and designers would call call us stone people and right from the get-go and say, hey, you know, is this – the proper stone to use in this or proper tile to use and for this application because it would save a lot of headaches later on down the road. But on the other hand, I guess I wouldn't be doing stone failure inspections uh, if it weren't for some of those mistakes. So not that I'm encouraging those mistakes. All right. We got a few minutes left on this show. If you want to sneak in one last question uh, again, three, two, three, eight, seven, zero, three, nine, six, eight. Or, again, as Jeannie just did, uh, feel free to send me an email at fhouston at gmail.com. Uh, once we're off the air, just feel free to go ahead and send an email to me as well. I'm more than happy to uh, answer those questions on uh, next week's show, which is every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, here on the Stone and Tile Show. Uh, I love doing this show. I think it's a lot of information that, that we need to get out there. Uh, one of the things I pride myself on is unbiased uh, information. Uh, everything I tell you is going to be based on, on fact. It's going to be based on, you know, my experience. It's, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, and I, I don't want to down anybody, but there's a lot of misinformation that's, that's been going around in this industry. Um, you know, I, I can give you example after example where I've heard salesmen tell people things like, well, how long will the sealer last on my stone? Oh, it'll last forever. 
Just apply it once and walk away. Don't worry about it. So I've even seen people in some of the trade show seminars, and I'm not going to mention any names or any trade show that are giving these lectures. And I've walked in and I'm listening to some of this, you know, misinformation that they're they're giving and people are in the audience writing this down as if it were the gospel truth it's not you know you want to back up any of the opinions that you have you know based on some kind of either scientific fact or or knowledge from someone quoting someone that knows something that you know to give you a good reason um you know one of the things i try to do when i when i write my reports is you know for example uh we talked about efflorescence on the show here you know efflorescence Okay, what causes it? We give an example. Um, why is it occurring? This is why it's occurring. I mean, that's fact. It's not, you know, it's not guess. It's not, you know, next week I, I'll have to tell you my story. Maybe I told it last week. I don't remember on the uh, green marble. Uh, with the guy said it was growing plants inside the inside the marble. So anyway, all right. One last chance, people. Three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. Don't be afraid. Pick up that phone. Give me a call. Let's discuss whatever you want to on when it comes to stone and tile, either your question or an opinion. That that would be great. Uh, you can send me an email, fhouston at gmail dot com. You can send me a text on my cell, which is three two one five one four six eight four five. Hopefully, uh, we can figure out how to get a chat room in here. I know I can chat to callers. Uh, individually that are calling in, but not to a group or whatever. So um, I, I'm not sure how that works. We'll have to check that out and uh, let, let you know uh, next week. So if we don't have any additional callers, I'll give you another minute here. Then I think I'm going to close the show for, for this week. I think we covered a lot. Um, we covered resin stone. Uh, we covered how to fix resin stone. We efflorescence. We talked about proper drainage. Uh, we talked about ager and how to remove it. And what did we learn? We we learned we learned once it's on, it's on. <laughs> it's uh, it's really not coming out very very easily, and it's kind of a I mean it, it's kind of a fruitless effort. So um, uh, you want to go back, and if you missed part of the shows, you can go ahead anytime. Go back to blogtalkradio.com backslash drfred d-r-f-r-e-d and you can listen to uh this will be show number two for this year and i think i have like four other shows up there from um 2011 2010 information is still pertinent uh haven't changed my mind and in all those years so and we'll, we'll revisit some of those topics uh some of those topics as well all right so i guess i'm going to close for this week i uh, hope everybody has a a great weekend and I'll see everybody next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Get your questions ready. This is Fred Houston, and this is the Stone and Tile Show. See you all next week.